You're listening to the Exhibitionist Podcast, brought to you by InspiringExhibitors.com and ProExtra, a wholly owned division of 12th Man Solutions Limited. Hi, and welcome to this, the fourth episode of The Exhibitionist, the podcast. Thank you once again for tuning in and also for your brilliant feedback from previous episodes. We know from your comments that you really got value from the conversation we had with Jason last time and trying to solve his trade show trouble. So if you have anything that you're struggling with and can't quite find the answer to, please feel free to get in touch and share your problem with us and we'll see if we can get it answered for you on a future episode. So coming up on today's episode, we are heading over to sunny Spain to speak to Richard Fox. Now, Foxy is a chef and TV presenter. Uh, Some of you may have seen some of his shows. And now he works quite often in food and drink shows running their live theatre areas. So he'll be talking to us about what makes some great feature content. But before we get to that, uh, our world's been pretty busy with construction, actually, the last couple of weeks, which is a new and different industry for us to be working in. And coincidentally, the brilliant trade magazine Exhibition News has also got a great feature this month looking at some of the construction events uh, that are currently running, such as UK Construction Week, Digital Construction Week, for example, and talking about the kind of exhibitors and content that they're sharing. We're working both with a client who's looking to exhibit themselves at such events, but also we're working on pulling together the live content for the Fit Show 2019, which is Windows, Doors and Conservatories, for anybody who's not familiar with the show. And it's really interesting to get involved in because it's such a massively diverse industry. And when we're talking to exhibitors and talking to visitors about the type of content they want at those live theatres, we're hearing everything from mental well-being and mental wellness to the skills gap to new legislation, some of it in the light of the Grenfell tragedy, and so many different topics that people want to hear about cybercrime, sustainability, waste, pollution. So it's a really, really interesting sector to be working in, and we're loving learning all about the big topics that you want to see. So if you're thinking of attending the Fit Show or think that you've got some value to add to one of those live theatres at the Fit Show, then we would love to hear from you and be able to possibly add you to that schedule. So just drop us a line via Twitter or email. We'll give you the details at the end of the show. And we'd love to hear from you if you think you've got something valuable to say to the windows, doors and conservatories industry. So Stevie, what have you been picking up on the last couple of weeks? Hi there, yeah, we were at a networking event last week and an individual was explaining what a brilliant, brilliant um, budget they'd just been given by their senior management for an exhibition. And we just happened to ask them, right, so how are we allocating that? And this individual was like, well, just a, just a stand. This individual was, was ashen by the end of uh, the five minute conversation they had with us. On reflection of the conversation we had, we've now published a blog giving you insights and thoughts of what should be included in your budgets and how it should be allocated. So hopefully that will be inspiring you to look at whatever size budget you've got and look at how dramatic 
even a small budget can be if allocated correctly. Oh, the age-old problem of budgets where everybody thinks they've got plenty until they realise that it's not just about your floor space and some pretty graphics. So good luck to everyone who is currently sitting down looking at a 2019 plan and working out where you're going to spend your money. As Stevie says, that uh, blog over on inspiringexhibitors.com should help you work out how you're going to spend your money most effectively. So on to today's conversation, which, as we've mentioned, is with Richard Fox and is all about live features. We talk a lot at workshops and when we're doing exhibitor training about the value that getting a session on a live theatre can bring to your entire exhibition experience. From inviting journalists along to listen to your keynote speak, interested prospect customers or even existing customers if you're launching something new, And alongside our exhibitor training, uh, a good majority of our work is also in running live theatres for such events at a number of trade shows and exhibitions. And that's everything from working on building the content with the show organisers, so looking at the topics that are going to be covered, finding the speakers, recruiting them, briefing them on the style and tone that's appropriate for different shows. Some shows we do, it's very much a corporate environment and speakers are expected to be suited and booted. And in some shows that can really quite put off the visitors and feel like it's not uh, a theatre that is the right place for them to be going to to be inspired and and pick up information. So we're having to brief speakers on actually just coming in jeans and a T-shirt. But we absolutely love those live theatres and you always get those really unusual questions and um, unexpected things happening that can make it quite a lot of fun and uh, and a really exciting time for us. There's nothing we love more than being on site and running those, those events. So Richard is going to talk to us now uh, for a short while about some of the things that he thinks are really important and the work that he puts into recruiting speakers himself when he's running these events uh, and what really adds value for his programs. Now, we did mention that uh, Foxy was over in Spain when we recorded this. It was the middle of the summer and it was beautifully hot. But unfortunately, it sounds like he has a chirruping parrot on his shoulder. Um, Unfortunately, he hasn't. It's nothing quite that exciting. It was... uh, we recorded the the interview just shortly before a massive electrical storm that knocked out all his power. Um, so there's a bit of a rumble of thunder and there's um, a little bit of static in the air that you can hear in this conversation, but not too much, hopefully, from uh, detracting you from the value. So we will hand you over to Foxy in Spain. For this episode of the podcast, we are joined from a very sunny Spain by Richard Fox. And Richard is a very talented chef, presenter and author so welcome to the episode, Richard. Richard, before we get into talking to you about your role in live features and theatres at trade shows, do you want to give us a little bit of background about your experience generally and more specifically in trade shows? Yes, absolutely. So um, when it comes to live trade events, I do a lot of uh, comparing of the live stages. Um, I also um, speak and demonstrate um, within my industry too, as a, as a chef and a, a writer. Um, and I'm also involved with the programming of stages as well. Great. Thank you for that. So based on that, what do you think makes great content for live theatres and feature areas at trade shows? I think what makes great content is people with, who, first of all, who are great speakers, who've got an inspiring story to tell um people are going to have an impact on other people's lives 
Um, so, you know, I mean, I know we'll come on to this later probably more. The PowerPoint demonstrations or the PowerPoint talks are not my favorite, needless <laughs> to say. And I don't think they're the audience's favorite. I think if you're presenting um, something that is very much data-led, there is a place for it, um, but it doesn't take the place of a great engaging speaker. It's really interesting to hear you say that, Richard. I think in years gone by, it's perhaps been a bit of a competition to see how many PowerPoint slides you can cram into your session. Um, but certainly that doesn't seem to be the way that we really do it so much anymore. So what do you think are some of the other methods that uh, presenters can use to bring their stories and their content to life on stage? I mean, I, I often have a conversation. So first of all, as the stage compare and somebody who will also interview people on the stage, and I think that's a really useful tool for um, a features manager to have is somebody who can interview people because maybe some people aren't uh, the best or most confident speakers in the world, but that information could be brought out of them if you've got somebody on the stage with them who, who, can, um, who can do that. Um, I will have a, generally have a conversation with each speaker and if a lot of them will rely on PowerPoint, they'll want to use PowerPoint, because it's a crutch for them. It's something, it's a tool for them to use and they, they don't feel sort of naked there. And, and I will actually try and talk them out of doing it and go, look, instead of you referring to that, I'll be the person that will make sure that you don't stall or flounder. If you stop, I'll have, always have a question for you. So I, I think that um, exhibition contractors should always look for people that have got a story to tell um, and, and somebody who can you know whose who's content can at least, at least their content can inspire others. So can you give me an example of a time recently when you've really engaged with a speaker where you've been inspired yourself and you've taken away something because the delivery and the content was so memorable? I think that, that people will always get something out of an event if the speaker enthusiastic, if they're passionate, um, if they've got an interesting story to tell, if their delivery is, um, it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. And, and I think it doesn't matter what the subject matter is, you can get inspired by somebody who speaks in that way. You, you, their, their excitement is infectious. Um, an inspiring story, particularly stories that are based on achieving something against the odds. Those are always the great stories. Somebody who's changed their life, um, whether it be somebody who was working in the city and woke up one morning and said, oh, I've had enough of this, I'm going to farm chickens, and they end up with the most um, you know, successful free-range chicken farm, or whatever it may be. Um, it's just... There was actually a, a guy who, I did actually interview the couple of them, it's a cake man, Terry Tancakes in Liverpool. And he was a stonemason. And one day his wife was trying to make a, a birthday cake for their daughter. And um, she got stuck, she could, basically couldn't do it. And he stepped in and went, he'd never done a cake in his entire life. Um, he said, I'll do that. And he created this wonderful cake. And that spawned a big business for them. Some 
you know, two years on, he started, I mean, it was a gradual process. But he became a victim of the decline of the building trade and ended up not being able to make a living. And he ended up becoming a celebrated cake decorator. So it's those kind of extreme stories of, of um, you know, fighting the odds. I love that story. I love that story. <laughs> yeah, it's stuck in my mind, always. He was, he was a, a fabulous bloke. Is a fabulous bloke. So Richard, you work quite often with event organisers, recruiting speakers and developing content. So what are some of the biggest challenges that you come across when you're trying to pull a programme together and recruit speakers for those events? One of the biggest problems you come across, of course, is that the best people are in the most demand and are the busiest people. So it's often trying to get hold of people. It's often uh, getting a, a commitment from them because more often than not, they're giving their time for free. Um, Obviously, expenses get paid and so on and so forth. But um, so I think it's important to these people are passionate about their subject, generally speaking, and they want to share it with them with an audience. But they also, I think, want you to share in their passion as well. So I think it's important if you want to nail these speakers down to committing to your event. It's very important to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with them over and above an email, a standard email, just inviting them to go, we'd love you to have you as a part of our event, is to speak to them and express to them that you genuinely feel that they can make an enormous contribution to your event and that they will be appreciated and valued. And that plays a huge role in securing their commitment and also... Um, getting them to go above and beyond their, their normal call of duty too. So are there any topics that you think are particularly relevant at the moment that speakers are wanting to cover at live events? We hear quite often about sustainability and technology and change, but what are the things that are frequently coming, coming up as content that speakers are wanting to cover? I was going to say, I, I think regardless of what industry you're in now, sustainability is undoubtedly one of the biggest factors um, so, uh, you know and also I think um, people who have got a more holistic approach to their businesses as well um, you know it, there's a social implication um, now how, how you run a business there's a there's a huge cause and effect whether it be an environmental one whether it be the way that you uh, what your approach is to your staff um, I think these factors are becoming more and more relevant, and I think particularly the sustainability element, which covers all aspects of running a business anyway. So Richard, what would your advice be if there was an exhibitor who's listening thinking, I've got a great story to tell and I think I've got some content that's relevant for the audience, but I'm a little bit nervous, I don't have the confidence to actually get up there and talk about it. What advice would you give for them? Well, I think that they should speak to the person who is, they, they should tell the, the um, exhibition organiser what they want that would make them, um, what their fears are, and then those fears should be addressed by the organisers. Like what I was saying, you know, offer them, they don't just have to be up there on their own. I think that's the important thing. I think um, it's very easy for both compares actually and 
a, a, a exhibition manager or features manager to because they've seen so many people get up and speak they know how long the speaking lasts for they, they know how it works um, instinctively but that person may never have done it before they may have only done it a handful of times and they're still finding their feet with it so I think giving those people a feeling of safety net and that they're not on their own whether that be some em the emotional support before or literally offering them to have somebody on stage with them who will be knowledgeable about them about their product about uh, their service about what they're talking about who's done their due diligence and research because that's another very important thing there's nothing worse and i think also you bring the most out of speakers too when you can say something to them or, or whether it be in just the introduction or whether it be in a question and answer situation or whether it be during the course of their presentation that they know that you have done some detailed study on them in advance they appreciate it and they respond to it and if you can convey that, that to them in advance of them doing the event then you'll get much more out of them and reduce many of their fears yeah so i think it's absolutely about understanding where their anxiety comes from we have a lot of speakers when we're working on live content who can be very nervous about getting up there and sharing their story we always try and reassure them that whether they've got two people or 200 people in the audience, you're just getting on stage and having a conversation with people who are interested in what you have to say, who want to be inspired by you and who are there to learn. And actually they're on your side. So it's really understanding what that fear is and trying to reassure them that they've got a great story to tell and that people are interested in listening to it. Absolutely. I mean, you, you, you've got to, I think, understand the, you know, the psychology of public speaking. And it's very easy when you do it for a living to take it for granted but the fact is that public speaking is is people's number one fear um more than death you know so uh, you know you, you can't dismiss that or ignore it and and you have to consider it and you and you have to take the appropriate steps to make people feel as, as safe, secure, and as confident as possible. So Richard, we have worked with you at a number of food trade shows specifically, where we have had all sorts of things going on with sharp knives and fire and food and alcohol and sampling. And things can always get a little bit crazy when you're trying to actually cook something live and interview somebody and address the audience. So without naming any guilty parties or naming and shaming anybody, can you share with us some of your more humorous and memorable examples of perhaps when things haven't quite gone to plan for you on stage? Um, I, I, going back to PowerPoint, I think that the ones where you can feel it falling flat and where the audience starts leaving on a steady stream during the course of the presentation is feels like you're on a sinking ship um, and you know you've got to have a sense I think your speaker doesn't have to be the most charismatic person in the world um, they don't have to be the most confident speaker in the in, in the world but you've got to have a sense you, you have to do your own 
due diligence as well as a, an event organizer to make sure that the person that you're putting up there has a very good chance of engaging an audience. Yeah. So, so that's number one. You, you've got to pick the right people. Um, and picking the wrong people is, is, is a disaster, not just from the PowerPoint view, but the point of view of watching somebody that, you know, you prefer to watch paint dry. Um, I think the other problem, I haven't really come across any great disasters. Power going off is probably the, the biggest factor. Um, microphones failing, it's little things like that. You, you know, I remember doing a... Um, uh, comparing, it was James Martin actually, I can name this because he, he dealt with it extremely well. Um, one year we had a complete power failure and he was cooking. And it was maybe a quarter to halfway through the demonstration. At that point, it becomes a team effort between presenter and um, b between the person who's actually uh, between the chef or the, and, and the presenter. And you, you, we carried on. I don't quite know how we did it, but you carry on, you shout, you do whatever you need to do to make it work. Other things are radio mics failing. Um, again, you need to be able to adjust, step off the stage, stand in the middle of the floor, do, do whatever it takes to make sure that, that you can keep going. Um, but generally, it's, been te it's technical issues. So be as technically prepared as you possibly can and have something in your head um, and know how you're going to do anything does go wrong. So you've not actually ever set anything on fire when you've been live on stage at a show? That no, I've seen dishes from people that haven't worked, haven't cooked. Um, uh, but no, I, that's a really boring response. <laughs> you wanted me to say, yeah, yeah, we've got it down. After the NEC once and the fire brigade came, but you know nobody was hurt. But um, no, nothing like that at all. I'm afraid. <laughs> and most importantly, you've always managed to get everybody's name right. No, <laughs> that's a, that's a good one actually. I once introduced Theo Randall, funnily enough, who's a wonderful chef, um, as um, Rio Thandel. Um, <laughs> And luckily, I, I, I've known him for, for many years and we were able to have a good laugh about it. Um, I've heard some chefs that might not have been so amused at being introduced by the wrong name. But <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, welcome Rio Sandal. And he just stood and looked at me and went, I really like that name. We got a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're smiling at this end, definitely thinking about you making your big introduction but getting the wrong name. Um, luckily for you, though, he sounds like he handled that pretty well, despite what we sometimes hear about chef's temperament. So I was lucky it was him, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> so, Richard, we know that you mainly run the live theatres at food and drink trade shows and events, and you're a fantastically talented presenter but you're also a very passionate love, food, hate, waste ambassador. So what are the things that you think the exhibitions industry could be doing to help encourage more sustainability and lessen the impact that we're making on the environment through the industry? Um, exhibition organisers need to ban um, non-recyclable um, stuff. 
from, you know, so particularly if you think about sampling, for example, so, you know, non-recyclable plastic cups, everything should be able to be recycled. It's difficult, so, I mean, particularly when you've got big exhibition halls, which, where you've got um, contracted caterers, for example, and you've got the little outlets there. I don't think ex exhibitors generally don't have a control over that area, but they do have um, control over um, their uh, exhibitors. And, you know, that is standard now in the music industry. In fact, I, I think probably now that I, I think most music festivals are 100% um, recyclable. Nobody is allowed to work on site with anything that's not recyclable. So I think that, uh, and, I, and I think probably the exhibition industry is possibly lagging a little bit behind in, in that. But I, that for sure is something that uh, can be done to help that situation. Definitely, when we're working with clients or when we're in workshops with people, we often hear that they're putting a lot of time and effort into thinking about designing collateral and stand graphics and getting them to the site so that they can actually put up their exhibition stand. But not always a lot of thought goes into how they're actually going to recycle or return some of those materials. So you see exhibitors just binning literature, binning graphics panels, because there's no way of getting it back to base. And actually, if they just thought about how they could recycle and reuse some of that equipment and kit, it would not only save them quite a lot on budget for the next show, but also be helping with the environment as well. Absolutely. So for the team at Pro Extra, one of the things that we absolutely love about working on live features is the variety of people that you meet and their stories. You hear about so many different industries and initiatives that people are working on that you don't even realise are happening. And it's just fantastic to hear those stories and see them come to live on stage. So what are the things for you, Richard, that you really enjoy most about the live theatre environment? God, that's, a, that's a really good question. I, I, um, <laughs> I love being inspired myself by the speakers and the people that come onto the stage. Sometimes I have to curb my own enthusiasm for um, an excitement about how I'm feeling as a result of their talk um, and, you know, and, and rein it in a little bit um, and <laughs> not be over emotional about, um, about the whole thing. But that for me, seeing people, people like, I talked to you about Terry Tang, you know, people that have, you know, changed their lives and by doing so have impacted on the lives of others as well. Um, that for me is, is the most rewarding thing, without a doubt, about, um, about what I do. So the million dollar question, Richard, if you could choose anybody in the whole world to interview live on stage, who would that be? Oh God, I, why didn't you write that question down for me in advance? In the whole world to interview Barack Obama? Really? I think, well, I, I mean, that, that's a knee-jerk response off the top of my head. Or maybe Donald Trump, actually. The, the, the usual suspects, he, he's not alive now. It would have been marvellous to have interviewed Nelson Mandela, wouldn't it? Um, sorry, darling? Yeah, Anthony Bourdain, she said. Well, yes, he would have been interesting too. Um, 
But um, no, I'll say it again off the top of my head. But I am Barack Obama. Good choice. I think would have been a very interesting person to talk to. And I think we had a contribution there from your brilliant wife, who always has the right answer. Uh, but leading on from that, what would your opening question be? Welcome. Um, what question? Um, how? Uh, oh gosh, what's it like? being president of the United States in one sentence. <laughs> We've had some great content from you there about what makes a fantastic live session at a theatre. But thinking about our industry, who else do you think would make some great content for our future podcasts that we should um, speak to? I'd imagine you've probably already spoken to them. I mean, the, pe the people that come to my... Have you spoken to Sue Boreham? She's on our list. She, she, you have? She's on the list to speak. To She's me. on the list. Excellent. I mean, obviously, um, Claire Bowman at William Reed is obviously a great person to speak to. Nigel Barden, who I'm guessing, who I'm sure is on your list too. Um, God, I'm trying to think of any... I can't think of anybody who's not on your list, who won't be on your list, to be honest. Um, those are the three people who come to mind uh, to me. If I think of anybody else, then I will um, let you know. Thank you so much for your time today, Richard. We have got some great inspiration there for those exhibitors who are thinking that they would like to incorporate a live session into their exhibition plans. So that's brilliant. Thank you so much for your time. We will let you escape before the thunder and the lightning rolls in that we can just hear in the background. But if anybody did want to get in touch with you regarding live events or any activity that you're doing, how can they find you? Email richard at richardfox.tv. So if anybody missed that, you can always get in touch with us via the website at www.inspiringexhibitors.com and we can send you Richard's details. So once again, thank you so much for your time today, Richard. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you and uh, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure as always. So wise words there from Foxy. Hopefully you enjoyed that. And if it's inspired you to think about what your organisation might be able to add in terms of value to a live theatre area at a show that you're going to exhibit at, but you're not quite sure how to approach the organisers, please do get in touch with us and we can uh, talk you through that. As uh, people that pull content together ourselves, we would always welcome anybody approaching us uh, and at least having the conversation with us. We can't always promise that we can add them to a schedule, but as uh, an organiser of that content, then it's great to hear from people who think they've got something to say. So that wraps up this episode for this week. Uh, next week, or the next episode, we will be coming to you on one of the most crucial topics that will help you with your uh, event success, although we probably say that about every element, but that's pre-show marketing. And we're going to be talking to Johnny Ross from Fleek Marketing, who'll be talking about how you can use digital and social media to really engage with your current and existing audience and customers prior to a show to make sure that you get them to your stand. Now, you may be interested to learn that actually only 16 to 20% of the total visitor population to a show are ever going to be in a position to buy from you. And you might be quite disappointed to hear that that number that you're doing all of this and actually only 20% of an audience are in a position where they can buy your product or service. But if you've got 5,000 visitors coming through the doors, then 20% is still plenty for you to be getting on with and following up after the show. So the numbers are big enough, you just need to make sure that you get that 20% there 
and that your stand is on their list before they even get through the door. And Johnny's going to help us massively with that in the next episode, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. So we'll sign off for now. But as usual, if you have a trade show trouble, a question, or going back to the start of the show, you'd like to uh, add some value to our Fit Show program and want to get in touch, you can do so via the website at www.inspiringexhibitors.com, via Twitter at ProExtraCo, or via email, which the details are on the website. So we look forward to hearing from you. Have a great couple of weeks planning your trade shows. And thank you again for listening. If you'd like more information about our book, The Exhibitionist, future podcasts and newsletters, please remember to pop over to inspiringexhibitors.com where you'll be able to find all the relevant information. Once again, thank you for listening.